that you would bless this time too as we open your words in scripture. Teach us and guide us and admonish us and lead us forward. We pray pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Great. Will you open your Bibles to uh, John 15 today? And if you need a Bible, we've got a number of Bibles in the back. Just raise your hand. We'll hand one to you. John 15. And if you're using the Bible that we hand out, it's on page 771 that we'll be looking at. Um, John 15. Now, a couple things happening here. We've got a couple of upcoming series. Starting next week, we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah. Encourage you to be here. It's going to be a great time. Uh, really excited about this. We're going to be talking about God's mission for us. And I know sometimes we want to run away from God's mission. But uh, as in the case of Jonah, it doesn't often work out for us if we really are followers of Christ to run away from the mission that he has for us. In fact, things go a lot more according to plan uh, if we follow him. And so uh, I want to encourage you to be a part of this next series. Uh, pretty excited about what God's going to do in our midst. Uh, and then that's going to lead into a series on uh, the family. We're going to be talking about the family. We're going to be talking about uh, marriage. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to be talking about singleness. We're going to be talking about um, adoption. We're going to be talking about a number of issues that, uh, that are in line with what, the, what God intends for the family. And so um, this is actually something that you may know people who, who have questions about, and you could even now be thinking about inviting them to this series. So that'll be happening uh, after the series on Jonah. So some great things ahead. Today we have kind of a, a standalone uh, series, and this is going to be a, a text that I think is going to minister to those of us who are busy. Raise your hand if you're busy. Anybody busy? All right, pretty much everybody in the room is going to raise their hand for that one. We're busy, right? We're busy people. That's the way our modern world is structured for us to be busy. And so uh, we're going to look at a text that I think is going to help us cut through some of the busyness a little bit this morning and uh, get us focused in the way we should. Now, the danger is always that we would be, uh, that we would confuse busyness with fruit bearing, okay? Busyness and fruit bearing. There's a danger between those two, that we would confuse busyness with, we have a lot of activity, we can do a lot of good things, but that doesn't have a lasting impact on the world. So even when we, we looked at Easter this last uh, you know, week, we, we spent all this time uh, preparing for Easter and you know, filling, I don't know how many thousands, anybody know how many thousands of eggs we filled? Something like 4,000, 4,500 eggs. You know, and so... Are we just trying to win the Easter egg stuffing competition, the cosmic Easter egg stuffing competition? Or is there really some, some fruit that's going to come out of this? Some, something spiritual is going to happen. You know, all the parts, you know, Brent and I did a juggling thing in the beginning of the, uh, of the um, children's uh, celebration. Like, we hardly, well, I especially hardly know how to juggle. But, you know, what, why are we doing this? We're just trying to, to do busy things. Are there some spiritual fruit that's going to come out of this? Um, we talk about Count Me In. You just saw the video. You know, are we just trying to go out and, and look good to the community or, or get a nice new t-shirt as we go out? Or, you know, what is, the, what is the point of going out and doing Count Me In? Are we just keeping busy or is there something at bottom that's really significant and lasting and important? You know, we meet in home groups during the week. It's just sort of our version of the better homes and gardens. You know, we go to each other's houses to see who has the nicest house and make sure we clean it beforehand. And, 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 and so, you know, is that what we're trying to do? Or is there something going on in the, the collective gathering that's significant on a transcendent level, that's, that's spiritual, and that's going to have a lasting effect on our lives? And by the way, I hope you're not stressed if you're a home group host. In fact, I think once a month at least you should not clean your house at all and just have everybody come over just to send the message that it's not about having the perfect home and it's okay to be messy and we 
not only do we need to be in each other's, this messiness of each other's spiritual lives, but even our physical lives as well. Okay, so let's just say this, this week, nobody who leads a home, hosts a home group can clean their house beforehand, okay? We're just going to make it messy so that we understand that it's okay to have a messy house. <laughs> People are clapping. <laughs> I just caused a marital dispute right here. <laughs> We'll talk after. <laughs> um, you know, when you go to work, what, is it just busyness? Are you trying to uh, just get that paycheck or punch in the clock and come home again? Uh, or is there something that's going on in the workplace that's of spiritual lasting significance? Uh, in your family, when you come home, are you just trying to make sure you pull into the driveway by 6 o'clock or whatever it is, uh, and, and you get out and you spend some time, and, and you, you, you know, you're sitting around the table, and you're really, to be honest, you're there just to eat dinner. You're hungry, and you just want to eat food. And are, is that the only thing, or is there something about gathering around that table that, that needs to happen that's more transcendent, that's more significant? See, there's a, there's a danger between busyness and fruit-bearing. And we need to talk about that a little bit this morning, and, and we're going to have help uh, from, from uh, this text we look at. Now, the sad thing about busyness is that it's not lasting. Busyness does not last, because in the way I'm defining it, busyness is not connected to what God is doing, the cosmic plan and the movement of God in the world. And so, it, it, you know, we do stuff, and then it just sort of, after it's done, it just doesn't last. There's no lasting effect to it, because it's not connected to what God is doing in the world, and, and I just want it, to, it's, it's like that, uh, you know, the, the builder who builds on the sand, or have you ever been, this summer we were back east, and we were building on the sand, and the, and the tide was coming in, they have these really flat beaches, you know, back east, and so, you know, you can build like 100 yards away from the water, and then an hour later, you know, the, the water's coming up, and, and your sandcastle that you build is starting to disintegrate, and it's amazing how fast, just one one small wave will just wipe away what you've built. And, and there's a sense in which a lot of what we do, if it's just busyness, is like that sandcastle. It'll just, it'll just melt away eventually. And there'll be no lasting effect to it. There'll be no lasting fruit from what we've done. And, and I want to be the first to say I've spent a ton of my life engaged in busyness, in activities that, that, that don't really lead to anything. And, and I don't even think about what I'm doing. And, and I thank God that He's gracious towards me and towards us that for those uh, times that we spent just being busy, um, He forgives us and He calls us to something new and He calls us to fruit bearing and we have the hope of God to lead us into fruit bearing. Um, and then there's been those times in my life where by His grace, God has enabled me to do things and to work with people and to be involved in people's lives in a way that has lasting fruit. A little while back, I got an email, I think it was on one of my birthdays, it was from somebody who was back east, and we lived back east for four years in Hershey, Pennsylvania, um, and did our time there uh, before coming back to the West Coast, and uh, just offended a bunch of people. Um, and so we were, we were there for four years doing ministry, and we were uh, in doing this sort of evening service in this large megachurch, and, and um, I got this email from a guy who was part of that, and he was a letter carrier um, uh, maybe in his 30s, and um, not a whole lot going on in his life um, at the time. And um, He wrote me this email and he said, I just want you to know the impact that you have had in my life. And he, he wrote about the, the sermons and he wrote about you know, the ministry and then he really wrote about, he said, the prayer before uh, the service really affected me to see your, 
your love for the Lord and your heart for the Lord. And he said, and it was all of that and the missions trip that we did that really has set the tone that God has called uh, me into missions. And you, you look on his, his Facebook page, and there he is in some third world country. And he's just hugging the stuffing out of these kids in an orphanage. And they're just smiling. And you can just see in his face this sort of meaningful grin and this joy that you could tell kind of touches the, the deepest parts of his heart. And you look at something like that and you go, wow, Lord, did you actually work through my faults and failures to help somebody in that kind of a way? And you go, oh, that's what I want to live for, right? That, that's fruit. That's lasting fruit. What's, what's happening in these children's lives will last. It will go on. And we have the opportunity not because of who we are, but because of Jesus Christ, to live lives like that, that bear lasting fruit in the lives of other people. That's what we want to talk about this morning. Not busyness, but fruit bearing, but making our lives count. So look with me in John 15. We're going to be reading, starting in verse 1. I'll make a few comments as we go through this, just a very few. And then at the end, I want to talk about two things that I think we could draw from this text uh, about fruit bearing. Now this is the last discourse that Jesus has with his disciples before going to the cross. And you know that when somebody knows they're going to die, the last things that they say are very, very important. They carry this sort of deep significance. And amidst all that, we find these verses in chapter 15 talking about the true vine. He says, I am the true vine, Jesus says. And my father is the vine dresser. Now, the metaphor he's using is of a vineyard. It's a very common metaphor throughout the Old Testament. And it's usually used um, to make a point about relationships, first of all. Jesus is going to make several points about the relationships between us and others, between God and us, between Jesus and the Father. All sort of are going to be clarified with this metaphor of the vineyard. But when it's used in the Old Testament, it often, when it refers to Israel, it refers to Israel's failure to bear fruit in the world. So the vineyard imagery refers to Israel's failure to bear fruit in the world. Um, You remember way back that Israel was called to be what? A kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. The idea was never that Israel, the blessing of God, would just be for Israel, the nation of Israel. The idea was always that Israel would be blessed so that Israel could bless all the nations of the world. That was the idea from the very beginning, that Israel would become a kingdom of priests who would then bless everyone else. And in failing to do so, then they become like the the vine that doesn't bear any fruit. And so in the Old Testament, we see that metaphor used, and Jesus is coming back to it. And what was it that got in the way of Israel's fruit bearing? Well, it was sin, right? It It was falling short of God's glory. It was turning away from God's plan. It was not living out what God had called them to live out. That's what removed them from fruit bearing uh, to, being, to being barren uh, in, with respect to fruit. So sin got in the way. And so, verse 2, every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And then a kind of a parenthesis here, in case they're worried that they're going to be of the branch that's going to be taken away. Okay, if they're they're concerned about that, he says kind of in verse 3, a parenthesis, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken 
to you. Now, Jesus has taught them a lot up to this point. And in this particular discourse, it started off with him washing their feet. And in that, he was teaching them that they will be cleansed by his death on the cross. And so his word has been teaching them. And and as they listen to it and absorb it, and they're, they're cleansed by it, but they're really cleansed by not what he's even taught just, but the fact that he himself is the word of God. And uh, Miguel read that at the very beginning of our service this morning. He read that passage that Jesus is the word of God. And so uh, as, he, as he washes their feet, he will then, after this court discourse, he will go to the cross and he will offer himself on the cross as a sacrifice of atonement. And, and by that, they will be cleansed from their sin, and thereby enabled to carry out that call that was originally upon them to go and be a blessing to the nations. And so he's telling them that you have been cleansed because of my word and my work and my life uh, in in you. And that same word cleansing is used for the foot washing there. And so I just want to even pause for a second and say, those of you who are here this morning who have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, this is really the first initial step that we all must take if we're going to walk this journey with God, is to recognize that we need to be cleansed of our sin, that all of us has fallen short of God's glory, and that we need that sacrifice of atonement to be applied to us in order for us to be cleansed of our sin. And the way the Bible says that we have that sacrifice of atonement applied to us is by faith. As we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we often like to say, as your Lord, the one who is sort of authority over your life, and your Savior, the one who went to the cross to die for your sins. If we come to Christ in faith and say, yes, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior, then that cleansing is upon us. And what that does then is it opens the way for the Holy Spirit to take up residence inside of us so that we can begin to bear fruit. Just like the sap goes into the branch and enlivens the branch and enables it to grow and bear fruit, so the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us once we've been cleansed by the the cross, and we're able to then uh, begin to live out and bear fruit. Now, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. It's a stern warning now to Israel and then to all others who, who, who would not abide. So abiding is crucial. It's, this is not a suggestion. Abiding is crucial. Verse 7. If you abide in me, And my words abide in you. Listen to this. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, if you keep my commandments. You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And he's going to go on to sort of unfold the metaphor a little bit and, and, and speak in more concrete terms. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another 
as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And as we've just said, Jesus will model this. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. That's a word that's used for a a call on your life to go and do something in particular. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. We're going to look at this text in just two moves. There's a lot in here, and a lot of it sort of circles back upon itself and repeats. So we're going to pull out a couple of themes that are most important in, in my mind as I study this. The first one is, it, has, it says something about who we are. Okay? We are abiders. We are people who abide in Christ. And then the second move in the text is how we live. We are people who bear fruit. So I want to say, make a few comments under each one of those headings. First of all, who we are, we are abiders. The word abide means to exist in or to continue in or to remain. Uh, a branch abides in the vine because it hangs on, it's connected to the vine and it remains there. If you take away the vine, what do you have? A stick, right? If you take away the vine from the branch, you just have a dead branch that becomes a stick. And if it's a vineyard, kind of a vine, it's not even a very good stick because it's not straight. I mean, if you're a nine-year-old boy, like I have one in my house, it's not a good stick. You want a strong stick. The vine loses, it withers away if you take it away, the branch, if you take it away from the vine. So um, the vine needs that nourishment. It needs it. Uh, It's connected to uh, the vine, uh, and it bears fruit as that happens. Now, one of my favorite authors is Andrew Murray, and he Uh, preached a sermon on this particular text, and it's collected in a book called Absolute Surrender, which I commend to you. And he says this, What a simple thing it is to be a branch. The branch of the tree or the branch of a vine. The branch grows out of the vine or out of the tree, and there it lives and grows, and in due time bears fruit. It has no responsibility except just to receive from the roots and the stem sap and nourishment. And if we only, by the Holy Spirit, knew our relationship to Jesus Christ, our work would be changed into the brightest and most heavenly thing upon earth. Instead of there ever being soul weariness or exhaustion, our work would be like a new experience, linking us to Jesus as nothing else can. For alas, is it not often true that our work comes between us and Jesus? What folly! The very work that he has to do in me, I and I for him, I take up in such a way that it separates me from Christ. Sad thought that the bearing of fruit should separate the branch from the vine. That must be because we have looked upon our work as something other than the branch bearing fruit. 
May God deliver us from every false thought about the Christian life, he writes. So, what it means is that the Christian life is more about resting than we often realize. It's more about abiding, resting, my yoke is easy than we might think. And some of us ponder that and we go, but if I'm not anxious and working hard, then I'm going to become lazy. I'm not going to do the things that I should be doing. But the lesson of the vine teaches us that, that actually what happens when we rest in the Lord and we abide in the Lord, we come into contact with the very source of strength and energy and reason and motivation, which then flows into us and enlivens us and makes us able and capable of doing the things that God would call us to do in the first place. We have to get rid of that fear that if I don't exert out of my own strength and try really hard, then I'll become lazy. If we draw close to the vine and we derive strength from the vine and the sap is poured into us and the nourishment comes into us, then out of that we will find the strength to do the things that God has called us to do. Just like with a plant, there's a kind of an all-by-itself sense to it. If the, if the branch is connected into the vine... If the branch is connected into the vine, it will receive the nourishment and it will, it will bear fruit all by itself. It will bear fruit all by itself. It can't help but bear fruit. It will just happen because it's connected in to the vine. Just as the Holy Spirit empowers us to bear fruit as we connect in to Christ. So you've got these two statements in here that are very powerful. First of all, it says, we can't do anything apart from Christ. You can do nothing, it says, very clearly. You can do nothing apart from me. And with him, we can do anything. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So apart from God, we can't do anything, but with God... We can do all things as we abide in Christ and receive nourishment and strength from Him. Now, the bottom line is that as human beings, and this is a hard thing for us to get our minds around sometimes, we are in fact dependents. We are dependents. That's the lesson of the vine and the branch. We are dependents. We depend upon God for our strength. Now, we know that to be true, we, we, we've talked about this with respect to um, the creation, the world itself, that God sustains the world by His hand, moment by moment. We're dependent on Him for breath in our lungs, for movements in our bodies, for nourishment, for all these things. We're dependent upon God. So is it true that in the spiritual realm, we are dependent upon God each and every moment of our lives. We are dependents. One of my favorite shows is... Um, Deadliest Catch. Anybody watch Deadliest Catch? Yeah, Chris, one. Okay, good. Um, I've seen every episode, I think, online. Uh, I love this show. They take these, they take these guys and um, they call them greenhorns. They've never been on a fishing boat in Alaska before, and they put them on a boat, and then they have to survive and learn how to do all the things that need to take place on this very precarious situation uh, to try and help catch the fish, the crab, and, uh, and then uh, bring it in and haul it in. And it, it's a very exciting show. You should try it. Um, and they say that more people die. That's the most dangerous job in the world. More people die crab fishing in Alaska per capita than any other job in the world, even pastors. So um, 
so, so, so these guys are on this boat, and they're out in the middle of the ocean, in the worst, the Bering Sea in the winter, and they're being tossed and thrown around, and they don't know what they're doing. And this is the part that always amazes me, is they don't listen to what the captain says or the more experienced crew. They remain independence, in a sense, independent from outside input. And you watch these guys, and they're, they're trying to do the work, and they insist on doing it their, their way, and they won't listen to what the person who knows more is saying to them. And, and what happens as a result of that? Well, number one, they almost kill each other because it's a very, very dangerous situation. You have to do it exactly the right way, and, and people are getting hurt and killed all the time. And so if they don't listen then there's a much higher rate of accidents on the boat, and they're in the middle of the ocean, so if somebody does get hurt, what do you do? You know, you have to fly a helicopter to get them and all this. So it's very dangerous. They don't listen, and they create this toxic environment on the boat because they're not obeying the commands of their superiors, and it's causing friction and problems. And they just, and at bottom, what they're doing is they're holding on to their sense of independence. And they're endangering the rest of the people on the boat. And they're endangering the mission. And they're endangering, you know, the, 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 the livelihood of, of all these people because they insist on doing it their own way. Now, I didn't mean for that to sound so strong as it does now sound. But when we come to Christ, we're to realize that we're dependent upon Him. And we're to relinquish that sense of independence that keeps us from doing it our own way and always wanting to be in charge and wanting to, to just kind of have control over everything. You can't follow Christ and still be on the throne of your own life. Right? You just can't do it. you got to kick yourself off and let Jesus sit in the captain's seat. And you listen to what He says. And you follow His commands. And you depend on Him. And if you ever wonder, is this Jesus dependable? Then you look to His teaching, and you look to His life. And you think about how He washed those disciples' feet. And then you think about all the things that He said. And then you think about how the fact that he went to the cross to offer his very life. There is no greater manifestation of love than that. He is trustworthy. So let him be in the captain's seat. Depend on him. Let him lead. We are dependents. That's what it means. And the result of this, the text makes very clear. There's two wonderful things. As we live in that way, as we abide, depend on God, then we give glory to God, Verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And in addition to that, we have the joy of the Lord in our lives. Verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I wonder what the joy of Jesus is like up there in heaven as he reigns over everything. He made the world and he sees it all and he loves people and he, and he calls people to salvation. What is the joy? He's in fellowship with the Father. What is the joy of Jesus like? We can't even begin to fathom. And he says to us that that joy will be in us as we abide in him. So there's wonderful results. So the first thing is who we are. We are abiders. 
And the result is glory to God and, and joy to us. The second move is how we live. And the way we live, according to this text, is to bear fruit. Now, what does it mean exactly to bear fruit? Let's unpack this metaphor. And what it, you know, it's a nice picture, but what does it actually mean? Now, looking at one of the commentators defines it in this way, and he, he does a nice job of going through the text and pulling out all the instances that, that would be referring to what it means to bear fruit. So here's the list of what it means to bear fruit. First of all, it's obedience. Talked about that a little bit already. It's experiencing the joy of Jesus, verse 11. It's love, verse 12. To love others is to bear fruit in their lives. It's the sacrificial kind of love that Jesus explains. And then it's to witness, to share the gospel. This is the apostolic mission to which they had been appointed, verse 16, is to go out and share the gospel with the world, to tell the world about Jesus Christ. And so bearing fruit is proclaiming that message to the world. And then also in verse 27, uh, at the very end, uh, that same, that same uh, message, uh, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So to bear witness to the world. So, so that's what it means in tangible, concrete terms to bear fruit. Now, how do we do that? First of all, we have to have a correct self-understanding, which is that we're abiders, we're dependents. And then secondly, we need to take on the appropriate attitude, and that's outlined in this text, and there's, there's a number of aspects to the appropriate attitude with which we walk through life. And the first one, as it says, is we're supposed to be prayerful people. Prayerful people. How do you bear fruit? You begin by praying. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, I I still, I have to ask for faith to be able to read this verse out loud and, and really believe it. Honestly. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now there's a whole process of your prayers coming out of your abiding that's very important here. In other words, your prayers are shaped by abiding in Christ and knowing what his mind is and what his will is and having your will aligned to his will. But out of that process, then you ask and Jesus responds. It's an amazing thing. When you look back at the history of of people who've had a lasting fruit in the world, Christians who've had lasting fruit in the world, what you often see is a deep, deep prayer life. Think of Martin Luther, who, what, he prayed three hours a day or something. You know, how did the guy write all those commentaries, basically, you know, start the Reformation uh, and spend that much time in prayer? And he would say, well, I couldn't have done all those things without spending that time in prayer. That in order to live in the way that God's called me to live, I had to be in, in prayer. And I'm saying we have to spend three hours in prayer. But it does make the point. Prayer is absolutely essential, absolutely critical. And I'm finding this in my life as well. I never, I never say to myself, um, boy, you spent too much time in prayer, right? I never say, I wish I wouldn't have given so much time to prayer because the fruit of prayer is evident in my life and the more time I give to it and the more I dive into it, the more fruit there is and it's just, it's an amazing thing. Prayer is absolutely critical to this. Uh, read an article, co- commented about Martin Lloyd-Jones who's a famous preacher, did mon- wonderful things in the world and his wife said of him on his death, upon his death, that first of all, he was a man of prayer. I hope, I think I have a long ways to go, so I hope God gives me time to work this out. But I hope my wife says of me, first of all, he was a man of prayer. Right? Because it's absolutely critical. If you want to bear fruit in the world, 
you need to be in touch with what God is doing in the world so that you can get on board and be a part of what he's doing. And that comes through prayer. So we approach this prayerfully first and foremost. Somebody said to me, I know many of you have heard this, that starting a church is just a series of answered prayers. And I would say that doing life in the way God intended us to do it is just a series of answered prayers. That's what life is. It's a series of answered prayers. Now, number two is to be humble in this process. Uh, Expect pruning. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He prunes. So if we're going to bear fruit, we need to expect that God is going to change some things inside of us. And I assume that means maybe some things that we wouldn't like him to change at first. Okay? We have a, a garden on the side of our house, and, and uh, each year we go out and turn up the soil and get it ready for the next year. And so a couple weeks back, this is what we were doing. And, you know, I get brought in with a shovel to turn the soil and pull the weeds. And so we're pulling the weeds and, and turning over the, the soil, and there's a tree uh, in the corner. It's an ornamental orange tree. And we got this thing a while ago, and we've been, we've been, we've been waiting for it to produce ornaments, but... Every Christmas comes along, and there's no ornaments on this orange tree. So it's not bearing any fruit at all, right? I know what I'm saying. Um, and, and so, and so the, the tree is, is there, and my wife sort of says to me in that way that she, she does, she says, um, you know, that tree is not really useful for anything. We accidentally bought an ornamental orange tree that doesn't bear any fruit. Um, and so it's just sitting there taking up space. And so we should get it out. So I go into the garage and, you know, get the stuff I need to get it out and, 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 and root out the, the, this tree and get the roots, cut the roots and pull it out. And then there's a bunch more roots in there and just digging those out and then throwing it on the side. And there it is over there. And then all of a sudden there's this big space where there used to be this tree and it's nice soil. And the other day my son comes in, he goes, yeah, dad, where the tree, the ornamental orange tree was, we planted zucchini, or I don't know what it was. Uh, and so we're excited to see those, those grow, grow up there. Sometimes when God wants to do something in our lives that's new and to bear real fruit, he needs first to pull up the parts of our lives that are not bearing any fruit. And so what is it in your life that God may be wanting to prune because it's not bearing fruit. And if we're going to follow God in this process, we have to be ready for that. It's okay. I know it's scary, but we got to let God prune us a bit so that we can start to bear some real fruit. We got a lot of ornamental orange trees in our lives, right? I know I do. And, and God needs to tear those out and create a new space where something that's going to bear fruit can be planted. The third thing is that we, we bear fruit when we follow Christ obediently, with an attitude of obedience. There's multiple references to the Word in this text. And so we've been saying this a lot. You need to marinate in the Word if you're going to understand what God's doing and you're going to understand His vision for you. That's something you need to spend a lot of time in the Word. But then it also says we have to keep the command. And that command, the, 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 the essence of that command is to love one another. And you love, he goes on to define what love is, you love somebody when you sacrifice. 
for them up to your very life. That's what it means to love a person is to sacrifice. That's how the Bible defines, that's, defines, that's how Jesus defines love is to offer sacri- to make sacrifice for others as he does through his death on the cross. That's what it means to love. And that's the command that we're to obey. And I've thought about this often. I've seen this in home groups. I've seen this in my home. If we would just sacrifice for each other, I think we'd be amazed at what God would do. This week, just just think of one way, one new way, because I know you're sacrificing for each other a lot. One new way that you might sacrifice for your friend or your relative or your neighbor or your associate. Make a sacrifice for this person. Give up something so that they can have. If we would just get this into our vocabulary of life, that when we see opportunities to sacrifice, instead of recoiling, we would see the potential for something good, for the obedience of God's command to love that person and make the sacrifice and then let God do with it what he will. I think we'll see sparks fly. In your home group, if your home group's dead and it just doesn't seem like much is happening there, just start sacrificing for the people. Do something to bless the other people in the group. And you will see sparks fly. That's what love does, and that's what Jesus calls us to. And then lastly, um, we're to bear fruit as we enter into this whole process expectantly. Jesus wouldn't tell us to do this He wouldn't call us to abide in Him if it were not possible for us to bear fruit. He wouldn't call us to this if it weren't possible for us to bear fruit. And I say that even here in this place, and and some of you may be frustrated because you're in your work situation and, and it seems so impossible for you to be able to love in an adequate way the people around you and for them to have any consideration or concern for the gospel. And so you feel like, what's the point? Because so much is against me in this. And yet, Jesus reminds us of the confidence that we have in Him. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, even in Berkeley, California. Or the East Bay. Right? That's what He says. He will do it. That is meant to give us confidence to step out in faith. I came across this illustration um, this week that I think puts a lot of this into context. This idea of abiding in Christ and bearing fruit. Imagine that you've got one of those um, power strips and it's got all kinds of plugs in it and it has a, a, a cable coming out the side here. And you take this power strip and you've got your computer and your cell phone, and uh, your printer, and all these things that are so important to your daily living. And you take all of them, and you plug them into the power strip because you want them to have the power that they need to be able to function and do the things in your life that they need to do. And then, though, you take this cable that's running out, and you take that, and you plug it back into the power strip as well. Now, how well is that power strip going to work? Right? But that's what we do. 
with our lives. As we, we don't abide, but we remain independent. We plug all these things into our lives thinking, okay, we're going we're gonna to energize these things and make them happen. And then we take the power that's supposed to be plugged into the socket where there's actual power, and we plug it back into ourselves too. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Abide in me. I'm the source of your strength. I've been raised from the dead. I got power. Plug into me. Would you pray with me? Lord, there are myriad ways in which we plug back into ourselves, thinking that we're going to be our own source of strength, that we're going to be the ones in control, that we're going to be the ones who determine what happens, and we're going to be the ones that provide for the the people around us. And nothing could be further from the truth, really, if we want to if we want to create lasting fruit in this world. We need to be plugged into you, to abide in you. To let the nourishment and the strength and the Holy Spirit come into us from you. We do that in prayer, Lord. So help us to be a prayerful people. We do that in humility, so help us to be a humble people. We repent of our pride and our arrogance and our desire to be in charge. We do that as we obey you. We repent of our disobedience and our our lack of letting you just speak into our lives and responding quickly. And we repent of our low expectations. Lord, since we think it's up to us, we think it's impossible, and it is if that's the case. But with you in the midst, all things are possible. So we repent of our low expectations. And we call upon you to fill us with the faith that's appropriate to who you are. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.